All right, this is uh, Paige and Zach. We are recapping Ohio State's season opening 45-21 win over Florida Atlantic. Uh, Paige, why don't we start with you? Um, why don't you give me kind of your initial impressions of, of what happened on Saturday afternoon? Yeah. Yeah, it's funny because, you know, I was sitting there watching that game with Corcoran, and it was 28 nothing, and I, I immediately started to complain, like, Jesus Christ, like, really? You know, it's like we've been waiting 10 months, and we're going to watch just a complete epic beatdown. I think I read something at some point at that, at that pace, like the final outcome, you know, if they would have kept it up, would have been like 180 to nothing, right? And you're <laughs> right. just like, what are we, what are we even going to remotely learn from this? I right. mean, these guys, I mean, not only were they like scoring touchdowns, but they were scoring touchdowns without people within 12 yards of them. Um, and you're like, this is just going to be just not even worth the time of day, epic beatdown. And then, then they totally morph into 30 minutes of just the exact opposite, mm-hmm. which was pretty amazing transformation from one to the other. So, um, you know, I, I go back to the, the same, and I, I get this from my old man. We've talked about this a thousand times. Like part of the issue, I get it with college football. You know, it's like the scheduling is what it is. But when you play teams like that, I, I don't think you can really learn anything. What could right. you possibly have learned from that game? Yeah. Right? I mean, mm-hmm. was, it, was it the team in the first seven minutes, or was it the team, you know, for the next 33 minutes? I have no idea. It, which is really, I think, a conclusion you can come to with virtually every one of the top teams that played on Saturday. I think, uh, you know, they all played overmatched opponents. There were, you know, there were moments of brilliance, and there were, there were lulls. And uh, I kind of feel like that's what we got on Saturday for the most part. And I didn't want to read too much into into that first nine minutes, ten minutes, that, that, that initial flurry where Ohio State just seemed to overwhelm Florida Atlantic. It seemed Florida Atlantic uh, seemed overwhelmed by the, the environment. And, you know, those, those first couple touchdowns clearly look like blown assignments. And, you know, how much credit can you give to Ohio State on some of those, those early scoring plays? But then there yeah. were lulls, right, where you could clearly see they were working things out. Um, overall, though, I I don't know where you stand on this, but overall, I, I thought there were a lot of positives. I didn't find anything overly alarming. Uh, we talked a little bit, but a little the other the other day about um, about J.K. Dobbins and and the running game and how we were a little underwhelmed. You would think Ohio State should certainly be able to impose its will in the running game against an opponent like Florida Atlantic, even if, if it's not running at peak efficiency. So that was a little disappointing. But I didn't really come away from that game thinking there was, there was nothing that, you know, a little practice, nothing that they couldn't work on, and, you know, it'll get better. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I mean, you, you can nitpick a, a lot of different things. I mean, this, but to start with the beginning of the game, I, didn't Florida Atlantic – uh, correct me if I'm wrong, they had negative yards at halftime. Like, the defense was yeah. so as good as the offense was in those initial, you know, series, at least through, I think it was two solid quarters. Like, the defense was just as dominating uh, almost as the offense, where you're just like, holy shit, these guys are just completely transformed. Yeah, um, And it's it like a totally different unit. And, you know, hallelujah after the fucking debacle of last year. Oh, God. That, to me, was the more interesting side of the ball to watch, right? Because we kind of know what we're going to get with the offense. Yeah. The defense is the big sort of variable. 
because they were just so god awful last year. And I think that's real. I, I think I think there was more. I, I do think that's real. I, I thought, um, yeah, I, I think Florida Atlantic should be able to move the ball a little bit. I didn't. I, I didn't get the sense that they were so incompetent along the offensive line and the skill positions. We were talking some that that starting tailback was one of the, I think he was the top rated running back prospect out of high school. He was recruited by Alabama, ended up transferring to to FAU. I don't know what the circumstances were if he was an academic non qualifier or got in trouble, but they have some guys that that can actually play. I think there was another uh, another one of their guys was in Oklahoma. Uh, transfer, so they have some kids that can play. I didn't sense that it was ineptitude, like total ineptitude on the part of FAU. I just thought the defensive front looked that dominant. Chase Young looked unblockable. I mean, we we were talking over email earlier that you know they were pretty depleted on the defensive line, and they had they had Jonathan Cooper who was projected as a starter opposite uh, Chase Young at, at the other defensive end spot, and then uh, Tyler Friday, uh, Taron Vincent. Um, Tyreek Smith, all those guys would have played significantly. I thought by the fourth quarter, the defensive line started wearing down. You could see they weren't able to get the same level of pressure. But I thought that the pressure the front seven got, the front four in particular, was real. Like, that's going to translate. And and you saw yeah. that defensive line able to get pressure uh, last year against much better opponents. So I think that's a proven unit. That wasn't just, you know, that, that wasn't... Uh, What's the word I'm looking for? That wasn't fool's gold. I think that's stuff that's going to translate later in the season against better opponents. Yeah, and you know, and if you're FAU, I I don't know if it was the first drive or the second drive, but their tight end, who was like their, you know, okay, mm. if your tight end's your best player, that might be a whole another issue in and of itself. <laughs> However, he had like two, you know, uh, two drops right in his hands for you know for first downs. They, they had to move the chains, like you know. In, in those situations, those guys have to make those plays, mm-hmm. right? You cannot, you can't just stumble like that so poorly out of the gate and it just sort of snowballed on him at that point. And even, I think Kiffin even said, you know, like one of the quotes I read afterwards, it's like, Jesus Christ, this game was even, you know, after that point. Like, they just, you know, the pressure would have clearly shifted to a high state had they just not had that complete meltdown for those first, you know, seven minutes of the game and you're just like you're not coming back to 28 you know down right. <laughs> number five team <laughs> on the road if you're FAU and you need your few players to make those plays but you see it all the time right I mean you know it's like Wisconsin or, you know, it's like guys you know they drop balls and stuff like that and the margin for error is so freaking small when you play the best teams in the country and it, it'll kill you if you don't execute so before we go into like individual position analysis so what did you make of Ohio State's up 28 uh, nothing at the end of the first quarter? I think they went up. There was about, what? let's see, at that stage, Ohio State took a 28 nothing lead, and there was six minutes and 50 seconds left to go in the first quarter. And then things started to stagnate a little bit. So what, what were your impressions of what happened there? Uh, was it... Well, I think the big thing that, you know, and I don't know, again, exactly what series it was, but when he stood in the pocket, Field stood in the pocket, and he launched that 50-yard ball. I don't know what it was, a lave. It was a lave, and, yeah. and he knew he was going to get hit. He totally knew, and he stood in there, and he got freaking crushed. And I think, 
you know, that completely changed the complexion of the game. Like, what are we doing here? Okay. And that was just, Um, that was one of several clean hits. Right. That FAU blitzers had on, on fields. I remember another one. It was, it was, uh, it looked like a broken play actually, because there was play action by fields. He turned around. The running back actually went the opposite direction of where fields was faking. And then he got a a clean hit. This was either before, I think this was after the play you were describing to Alave, which is actually a hell of a throw, by the way, Alave, yeah, hit him in the hand. Yeah, I mean, you know, you would expect him to make that catch. It would have been a tough catch. But in any case, there were two very noticeable clean hits that FAU had on him. And I agree with you. I tend to think at that stage, the play calling got very conservative. And we didn't see as much of the uh, inside zone read. Uh, we didn't see, uh, you know, we saw more straight handoffs to Dobbins, which I think would be a little easier to defend. I don't know. What else did you see? Yeah, I think, and you know, okay, so then is it human nature, right? You're up 28, nothing. They, they, they just sort of come off the accelerator. The team does, maybe the coaching does, they get conservative, a guy gets hit. Um, and you know, then it's a combination of all those things and you know, the wheels sort of come off to some degree. And, um, you know, one of the things we were texting back and forth on during the game is like, Okay, were those actual RPOs where he could have handed the ball off to Dobbins and kept the ball, or were those just straight run plays? Because there were clearly um, times when he should have just kept the ball. Um, instead of you know doing that, he kept it, or he he would hand it off to Dobbins and then he would just you know run into a brick wall. Right. And again, so you know, is it conservative play calling? What did they tell him on the sidelines? Like, look, you know, we'll live to fight another day. This game is essentially over at that. I mean, the game was was over with, what, six minutes left to go in the first quarter. Right. It just, you know, turned into something, you know, really, really difficult to watch if you're a Buckeye fan. And the execution just sort of fell off. So is it a combination of all those things? I bet it probably is. Yeah. And, you know, it was game one, right? They're still working out kinks. Mm-hmm. You still have a first-year starter. Um, at quarterback, and I'm sure we'll talk about Fields, who I thought was just amazing. I mean, let's yeah. not forget that really this is, you know, his first real, I mean, he got some game time action at Georgia, but how much? Right. Um, but to come out as a, you know, true sophomore, whatever the hell he is in, in the shoe, I mean, that, it, was, it was an amazing performance, at least for the first seven minutes. Yeah, no, I, I agree. Actually, I thought, um, uh, I thought Fields was even more impressive during that lull because there were there there were moments where Ohio State actually moved the ball and Fields uh, had to evade pressure, step up, wait for a man to come open, and he hit several um, several throws to Olave in the middle of the field where he you know he was under duress, he had to sidestep pressure, wait for Olave to come open, and he delivered a, a perfect ball right on time, and. Um, but yeah, I tend to agree with you. I think I think those early hits on on Fields were def, were definitely a factor in in what happened then throughout the second quarter and then part of the third quarter. I do think the play calling got a little conservative. I think maybe you know something must have been communicated to Fields from the coaching staff at that point about being careful about contact because on some of those inside zone reads it appeared that he he gave the ball to to Dobbins when the correct read would have been to keep the ball. Um, I remember several times where they ran. So, so the the, fifth, the first touchdown, the fifty, I believe, it was fifty-three yard scamper by by Fields on the on the first touchdown. The fake was on the inside, going right to uh, Dobbins. Right, that's where that's where the mesh the mesh point was. He's going Dobbins going right. 
the defense follows Dobbins and then Fields goes left through an open hole. They ran that play several times, and I think after that initial touchdown, Fields just gave the ball every time, almost every time. Yeah. And um, in sub- at several occasions, it was the wrong read because there just was nothing there. So, yeah, I do think the coaching staff was in his head a little bit. Uh, I do think the play calling was conservative to limit the hits on him. Um, and then I think in the third quarter, things were getting a little tight. I mean, they were only up 28-6. Uh, Florida Atlantic had started moving the ball a little bit on the Ohio State defense. And then I think at that stage, uh, Fields took the bubble wrap. Sorry, uh, Dade took the bubble wrap off of Fields and kind of just let him do his thing. And you probably remember it was, I believe, it was Ohio State's second possession of the third quarter. Um, Fields scrambled a couple times to, to keep the chains moving, keep them on schedule. And, and then they scored in the third quarter to go up 35-6. And at that stage, it seemed like the Ohio State offense got back on track. Um, but, but that was my read on it. I think those early hits were, were the catalyst for that lull in the second quarter and the early part of the third. Yeah, I, yeah, I, I think... I think so, and I again, I just come back to eighteen-year-old kids and human nature. That too. And you go up twenty-eight, nothing, yep. and it's just you know you, you you have a law. It just happens. It happens all the freaking time. It's the same idea, right? It's like look-ahead game. You know, mm-hmm. it's like it's, this isn't rocket science. Coaches know this. They see it all the time. They talk about it. It's like, oh yeah, we got to you know we got Purdue, and then we play Penn State, and it's like, well, don't sleep on Purdue. But they do. They kid, the kids just do. They they read their own press clippings. They're five stars. These kids aren't three stars, and they get punched in the mouth. It happens time and time again. It's right. a combination of all those things. Yep, yep. That was definitely um, a factor, I think. I think, you know, I, I think the interesting thing, you know, Dobbins looked a little angry to start the game, but, man, he did not – it didn't last, no. right? And then, and then if um, – you know, if those were just straight handoffs, right? Let's just just go for you know, assuming they were, then then I, then I start to get a little worried about the offensive line. Mm-hmm. Just, but again, they were so dominant the first four you know four possessions, but then that, that drop off. So so who is it, right? Like right. what team you know uh, should we expect here moving forward? I don't know, but I mean you know there was very little running room for him, but he just wasn't, I don't know, he wasn't the Dobbins of even two years ago. Yeah. He wasn't there. Yeah, no, I mean, there seems to be mounting evidence that, that Dobbins, maybe maybe the first year, his freshman year, was an outlier, and maybe who he really is is more of what we saw last year and in the opener, where he's effective. Maybe he's more Boom Heron than he is Ezekiel Elliott, right? Effective, but not <laughs> a star. But that remains to be seen. We'll see. I mean... In fairness, you've got four new starters on the offensive line, and you know the offensive line wasn't perfect. They had their moments, but that they also you could see there were moments where they weren't uh, they weren't holding their blocks. They were getting beat at the line of scrimmage, and I think that's somewhat to be expected, I guess. At, you know, given that there's no preseason, these guys are coming out of uh, you know four weeks of practice against one another, and this is their first opponent. Um, I wanted to go back to Fields for a little bit. Let's just have a look at his line. So he was 18 to 25, 234 yards, nine, uh, 9.4 yards uh, average, uh, four touchdowns, no interceptions. I thought he took really good care of the football. He didn't make any dumb, you know, any dumb throws. He didn't take any unnecessary risks. Uh, he was he was victimized by a couple drops. We mentioned the Alave drop along the sidelines, which would have been a difficult catch, but that's a catch you'd expect Alave to typically make. He had a deep ball uh, that was a bit underthrown, but it was a ball that uh, K.J. Hill was able to make a play on, and it went right through his arms. 
But what were your impressions of Fields? Well, my only nitpick of Fields, and I texted it during the game, it's like, can he straighten out his chin strap? I mean, do I gonna, I'm going to have to endure that. <laughs> that is pretty nitpicky. <laughs> but it's fucking crooked, right? Am I wrong? No, or is no, it just you're right. me? I mean, that, it kind of, you know, it reminded me of CC Sabathia back in the Cleveland Indians days. But no, I mean, that kid's a fucking stud. Yeah. Um, I mean, you just got to keep him upright. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think that's, that's obvious. But, I mean, on the other hand, like your, to your point, you. You know, how much can you protect him? Um, he's going to be great. And I, you know, I go back, I, you know, I think we all forget, you know, that this was his first, you know, big start, yeah. you know? I mean, and, and, and to perform the way he did was freaking amazing. Yeah. And, you know, I, I, I think the sky is the limit. It's only going to get better. The yep. weapon, I mean, and the weapons around him is just ridiculous. Yeah. Right? I yep. mean, I don't remember. Well, I mean, K.J. Hill for for instance, was was not a factor uh, on Saturday. He yeah. was barely involved. I mean, I think what Hill finished with three catches for 21 yards. He had a big drop, but there weren't a ton of other targets. He's somebody obviously that's going to factor in big in their passing game. But yeah, if you you know you factor in the fact that that Hill was not a big uh, a big factor in, in on Saturday, and uh, neither was Dobbins. Really, it was just kind of a pedestrian day, and yet. You know, they put up 45 points, and, and Fields finishes with 235, 234 in the air, four touchdowns. I mean, yeah. I mean, they have yeah, weapons. So they what, have other weapons. Yeah, they have huge weapons. And, like, like so for the wide receivers, so Mac came back, had a nice game. Yeah. Um, ha- actually had a hell of a catch. I forget what possession it was, but I think it moved the chain. We actually needed that first down at that point in the game. But it's always, like, it's it, – it, it's like we don't have a true alpha male receiver. No. You know? There's no a Michael Thomas, just, it doesn't appear. Yeah. That you just know, you know, game after game that you can rely on. Now, that being said, like, you're completely nitpicking based on, you know, you got five really, really good guys like we had last year. It seems like we're kind of in that same spot this year, but you never really know, you know, who's the guy that you can just, you know, always depend on. Um, is is and, and maybe it's Alave actually now that I, I think about it. Yeah, but, I was going to say have that alpha guy. Yeah, just be awesome to see. I mean, he's not that guy yet, but it feels like he's on that trajectory. Like it's third down and six. You're you know you're at uh, you're at Nebraska. It's third down and six midway through the fourth quarter. You know, it's a four point game. You need a first down. I, I kind of feel like Alave's going to be that guy. I mean, KJ yeah. Hill as well, but I mean, I think Alave's on that trajectory. And in another five or six weeks, we might be talking to him as as the lead dog among the receivers. And he's got big playability too. Uh, you know, he he's not just a, a possession guy. Obviously, Hill would probably more qualify more as that. But um, yeah, I, I'm with you. I feel like Alave kind of at least on Saturday. And if you if you if you think about how he finished last year, in the Michigan game, he had a touchdown in the Big Ten title game. It feels like we're witnessing, you know, something special with him. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I, I was thinking back to like Paris Campbell. You know, like he kind of maybe was that guy last year, but his hands were always sort of suspect. <laughs> but it, it would just be nice if one of those guys. I, I don't know. I mean, it's nitpicky, but just clearly stepped up to be the true true number one guy they're all really good yeah but 
you know, it's just like you keep waiting, you know, it's like you look at like Victor and uh, even, oh yeah, like Ben Victor, like he's like a physical freak out there. Yeah. Like, why isn't he dominating more why isn't than he, he dominating? is? And, and I, yeah. You know, I don't, I don't get it. What I liked was, so you mentioned Austin Mack had a big catch for them on third down and long. And, and if I'm not mistaken, that happened in the third quarter on Ohio State's first scoring drive of the second half. And it was third and six or seven, and Mack made a leaping catch, landed on his back just beyond the first down yeah. mark. It was a beautiful athletic catch. They showed it in slow motion. I mean, he was, you know, you could see his athleticism just on full display, and that was a huge catch for them. Um, Victor had a big catch and run. Again, I don't, I can't remember if it was third and long, but it was right at the sticks, and the defensive back uh, took a bit of a risk and went tried to play the football, and it was a well-thrown ball with velocity and touch by Fields. Hit Victor, and he ended up turning it up up the sidelines for an extra 30 yards. So there's playmaking ability that these guys have. They have abilities to, to, to make good catch, great catches and then do something after the catch. Um, so I'm with you. I'm, I'm more bullish on this receiving core than I think maybe some others. I know Doug LaMarie on one of his recent podcasts, his last one, kind of poo-pooed the receiver core. And he's like, well, how good are they really? And, and he was questioning whether, whether maybe they're a little overhyped relative to what they've done up to this point. And I can see that. But I, I think what my hunch is is that I think they're going to have a tighter rotation with the receiving core this year than they did last year. And I think Victor and Mac, provided they both stay healthy, are going to have more opportunities than they did last year. Because last year, you're, you're rotating in. You had McLaren, you had Campbell, and you had Johnny Dixon. And, you know, those three are gone. And I think, I think there are going to be more opportunities for Victor and Mac. And, and we'll be able to see more of what they can do. What did Mac do? Did he break his ankle or was it an ACL? Or? You know, they don't, they don't provide, you know, specifics. But it was a lower, lower leg injury. Something like either a knee or an okay. ankle or something. Yeah. That was in the Purdue game. But I thought he was having a pretty good season up to that point. And yeah, he was. Yeah. And he's, he's the kind of guy, I, I'm, honestly, I, I feel like if any of these guys, uh, of all the guys on the roster that compares favorably to Michael Thomas, I think Mac is that guy. He's a big physical dude, not super fast, but um, you, know, you get the ball in his catch radius, he's going to bring it down. He can make catches in traffic. I mean, you think back to that catch he had in the Michigan game two years ago when Dwayne Haskins came in on that big third and long. And Mac caught that in traffic, got destroyed by the safety, hung onto the ball. I mean, he can make those kinds of catches. He had a catch similar to that in the Oklahoma game earlier that year. And that was a big, you know, acrobatic catch. He landed on his back, was able to maintain possession of the ball. So I just, I know we haven't seen it. And I understand if you're a skeptic, you know, you can point to, all right, well, we haven't seen him do it yet. But I just feel like if he can stay healthy and get more opportunities, We'll see what Austin Mack is is really capable of this year. Yeah, no, definitely. I think. I mean, they, they, I, I don't say. I don't think you can say any of them are great. They're all pretty good. Yeah, It'd be great to see. You know, someone sort of separate themselves, mm-hmm. but um, it's still just a plethora of you know options for Fields. Right. I mean, shit, Ruckert and the tight end. Um, I don't know. McCall didn't do much. Um, you know, sort of that H back. It, I. Right. I don't know. I've always been I've always been enamored with that dude. I've just been waiting for it and waiting mm-hmm. for it. I know he's had some injuries, um, but it you know it probably hasn't happened by now. It probably isn't going to happen. 
He was pretty good um, in the yeah. return game, I have to say. He had a good. He was really good, actually, in the return game. He yeah. almost broke the opening kickoff, and then he had a nice punt return as well that went for, uh, I don't what was it, 40 yards? Um, I'd have to look at the return the return game there. But, yeah, he, was, he had a big punt return that set up, I think it was their second score. Yeah, uh, 35-yarder that set up their second score. And then he had... Uh, at least one really nice kickoff where someone got him by the shoestrings. Otherwise, he might have he might have broken it. Um, and then he got nicked up uh, for a bit yeah. there. So, um, yeah, we'll we'll see. I kind of feel like McCall. It's just hard. I don't know how much you can rely on him with the injuries. Um, but I I think he has some some big play capability. You use him maybe in the right spots. One thing I heard the other day, or I guess it was. Yeah, it was Saturday, and, and all the post-game analysis I listened to was that um, the tight ends got a lot more run in in the opener than uh, than the H backs. So you had your starting H back was um, was Hill, um, but you uh, Jalen Gill didn't get many snaps as the second H back, and it seems like they preferred to give more snaps to the tight ends. There were a lot of two tight end sets with uh, Ruckert. And uh, was it Farrell on the on the on the field at the same time? And it you know, Fields targeted Rucker Rucker several times, four four completions, thirty eight yards, two touchdowns. But it seems like in the Ryan Day offense, maybe he favors the tight end a little bit more over the H back. Hmm. Which I thought was interesting. Yeah. Well. Yeah. Who knows? Right. And we we'll see. Haven't even touched on or glossed over the fact that really it was. You know, Ryan Day's first game, too. I mean, I know he coached three games last year. It's kind of a big deal. Right. Um, I I don't know. I think a lot of the national media made a bigger deal out of it. You know, or I guess they're, they're, you know, over the course of the season. uh, And that's fair. I mean, we have to see how he handles, you know, big, you know, tough calls in big game situations. Mm -hmm. But at the end of the day, it was Ryan Day's first game, too, you know. Yeah, that's true. I think it's interesting because last year, Day... Ran training camp, right? Uh, Meyer got, he got in, you know, hot water and, and got suspended before camp started. So it was really uh, Day who ran the entire training camp and then, you know, obviously coached the first three games. And that TCU game, that was, I was at that game. That was, uh, you know, the, there were some tight moments there. And, uh, you know, we trailed by eight about midway through the third quarter. It was not looking good. And, you know, they, they made a few adjustments there. They what the big tunnel screen to... Uh, to Paris Campbell for that long touchdown, got him back on track. But th- there were definitely some in-game adjustments and some adversity that that uh, you know Day had to had to manage. And I thought he did a pretty good job. So while he is a first-year coach, I do think last year was really really useful. In particular, running his the entire fall camp um, as he did last year. And now this was really his second fall camp, so he wasn't really the, in terms of running a fall camp, evaluating talent, you know, getting the right kids into the two deep uh, this is really his second go-round with that and uh and really his second season opener as well it is different when it's your own mm-hmm. program i get that but that turned out to be really useful experience yeah 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 and I, you know obviously that experience is huge that being said you can't tell me the guy still wasn't shitting a brick before that game oh yeah you I'm know sure. I, <laughs> I mean, come on. <laughs> yeah, about it. So, uh, but that's good. You know, a little nervous energy is probably pretty useful. Yeah. What did you? Uh, so, what were your thoughts on? Uh, 
In that third quarter, Master Teague came into the game. Uh, you know, Ohio State at that stage had you know pretty comfortable lead. I want to say it was something in the neighborhood of you know 35-6. Maybe it was 35-13 at that stage. And Teague came in and seemed to give them the lift in the running game. He finished uh, 49 yards on eight carries, a 6.1 yard uh, per carry average. You know, Dobbins finished only at 4.3, and Teague was running behind the same offensive line. I mean, was that just kind of, you know, small sample size? You don't want to make too much of it. Maybe at that stage, FAU had started to wear down a little bit. Or do you think there's something there? Do you think maybe Teague, you know, maybe he should be getting more snaps? Well, again, we don't know, right? Because the plays, you know, where Dobbins sort of fell off there in the second quarter and in the third quarter were those RPO plays. And again, maybe it's just because I'm not smart enough to know the difference. Um, But it certainly seemed like... You know, it certainly seemed like with Teague, they just said they just lined up almost like traditional fucking, you know, uh, Earl Bruce football and right. hand the ball off an offensive lineman. You know, you go left, you go right, here's the hole and hit the hole. And he did that. Um, that being said, he did it great. And he gave him a huge spark. Um, mm-hmm. And we're going to have to see more of it. I, I think I, I definitely I, I think you have to see. I don't know, you know, if, if it's anything, you know. Is it, is it what I just described, you know, right. as, as far as the play calling? But mm-hmm. at this point, you're going to, I mean, Ryan Day knows. I mean, that whole team knows. The offense knows the answer to that first question. Uh, but that being said, he definitely warranted another look in another game um, yeah. and see what he can do mm-hmm. because it was just a different element. It kind of, I don't know, maybe I I read this or heard this, like somebody was maybe comparing more like a little bit of a Carlos Hyde. Yeah, type right. back, you know, bruiser. Mm-hmm. We need that four yards, big man, big boy. Just go get us those four yards. And, right, and he he played great. He was a stud. Yeah, yeah. I just wonder how much more patience Day is going to have. Like if this lingers on, and and I certainly hope it doesn't. But you know, if we're looking at four point three yards per carry, J.K. Dobbins here for another few weeks. I, I just can't imagine that Day is going to have a ton more patience with that. I think he's going to have to look. At other at other options, and like I said, I hope it doesn't come to that. I think you know, uh, but uh, yeah, honestly, I seemed to, I saw a little something different from Master Teague that I didn't see from Dobbins. I, I didn't I felt in Dobbins' uh, case a little too much pitter patter at the line of scrimmage. You just still got the sense that he was looking for the 50, 60 yard, you know, big play uh, every time, rather than, rather than just taking what the defense gave him. And uh, there were there were a couple of uh, videos posted online on Twitter recently, showing uh, there was one in particular where uh, Dobbins uh, took the ball on a run play and cut right into the middle of the defensive line into three FAU defenders. It looked like the play was designed to go around the right end, and there was a convoy of Ohio State offensive linemen in front of him. He could have run up the sidelines and gone untouched to the end zone. And it seemed like there were several of those plays. Now, you know, I do think the offensive line is somewhat to blame. They, they bear some, some, you know, culpability as well in kind of just a blah running game. But, um, yeah, and I did seem to see well, something different from Teague. He was more north-south. He was very decisive. Uh, he hit the hole with authority and just seemed to, you know, take what the defense gave him. Yeah, you know, and I, I never really gave it much thought. But, you know, since you just said that, one, one of the biggest, un, you know, I think intangibles for a running back is their vision, right? right. Can they kind of see the hole um, even before the hole might actually even be there? Like right. 
fucking Claret was a genius at that, mm-hmm. right? Like that guy was just, he was amazing. It just, you know, knowing where the hole is going. I mean, obviously they're scheming for the hole to be there, but really it's easier said than done. And maybe Dobbins just doesn't quite have just that great anticipation and vision, um, you know, like some of the other running backs. It's very possible. Yeah. Yeah, well, I mean, I, I think there's reason to question that right now until we see differently. We've got, like I say, unfortunately, some mounting evidence to suggest that maybe he's, you know, his his freshman year was a bit more of the outlier in what we've seen last year, and now part of this year is, is a little bit more who he is as a back, so I guess we'll see. Um, I wanted to switch over to the defense and get your impressions of what Do you it. saw from the defense. We touched, it, we touched on it a little bit. Defensive line was dominant. Chase Young looked unblockable. What else did you see from the defense on Saturday? Well, so, so Harrison, he's he's definitely the alpha freaking linebacker, right? I mean, that's yeah. the big thing. Right? Let's be, we know the defensive line is going to be good. We're pretty sure, you know, the de- I mean, Akuda, I mean, that dude's a stud. Mm-hmm. Uh, Sean Wade, um, Fuller. I don't remember, you know, hearing Fuller's name too much, but maybe that's just because... He didn't have to make as many plays right? Uh, because the defensive line was so dominant and, uh, you know, FAU kind of couldn't do too much. But, um, you know, uh, Pete Warner, I mean, the two, let's just call it what it is, the two guys, right, we're just constantly are wondering about are Warner and, and Borland. Um, I, I just, you see Warner in play. There was a couple times, though, like he took a bad angle. I think it might have been on the quarterback or somebody. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he got around him for like a 20-yard play, and then you just have Warner chasing behind, you know, a guy streaking down the sideline, which just gave me PTSD from last year. <laughs> um, and then, you know, I just don't ever, uh, you know, I, I don't remember a whole lot of, uh, you know, tough Borland making plays. No. Uh, I do remember some Browning plays, right? Um, but maybe that's just my selective memory, and you know, want to be thinking, you know, because um, you know we're just kind of waiting for those guys to get passed by some of these other studs, and it just doesn't ever seem to happen. But all in all, I mean, I think you know, defense has vastly improved. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I think God, you know, all, all we had. I mean, how many times did we talk about it? It's like Jesus. You guys should be a top ten defense, but you don't even really have to be that. Just don't be in the bottom fifty of yeah. Division One college football. Right, and we're going to be in every football game. Um, I mean, that's how fucking low the expectations got after last year. But I thought they played pretty well overall. Yeah, I thought so too. I, they made what were just some of uh, you know logical adjustments. Uh, you, you seldom mm-hmm. saw the you know, the entire linebacking core right at the line of scrimmage, right? I mean, they seem to be exactly where you would expect them to be. Several yards behind the defensive line so they could read and react. Um, And you very rarely saw uh, a linebacker out of position. I think uh, Florida Atlantic's longest run from scrimmage was nine yards in this game, if I'm not mistaken. So they eliminated the big runs. Uh, You mentioned Malik Harrison. He finished with five tackles, three, three solo, one sack, two tackles for loss. And he had a punishing hit over the middle that separated one of their tight ends yeah, from the football. It was just a beautiful hit. I mean, he did it without getting a targeting penalty. Harrison is the alpha, as you said, of that linebacking core. And I think he's going to have a big senior year. And they can deploy they, they can deploy him in a number of different areas, right? I mean, they want to send him after the, the, the quarterback. He can get there. And you expect, you know, he's going to patrol the middle of that field. And what I've been reading is that, that they've been using him 
they, they don't really distinguish between uh, his his linebacking position and the middle linebacker. They'll definitely use both of those players in the middle, or they're kind of interchangeable. And it does seem like Harrison is kind of patrolling the middle there at times. He was great. Um, I like what I saw out of Baron Browning at times. You mentioned that there was one one play in particular where it was a tackle for loss where he basically picked up that little running back and used him as a lawn dart. Um, but then there were a couple moments uh, later in the game where I saw him have, struggling to get off of blocks. And uh, there was one in particular where uh, the guard got out in the middle and it was one of the longer runs that Florida Atlantic had. I think it might have been their longest run of the day and it went for a first down. But uh, he just let himself get picked off by the guard instead of using his quickness and athleticism to get around him. So I, I feel like, and this is why Le Marie often says that he feels like Browning is better suited to the outside, where he's a t- you know where he's he's pressuring the quarterback rather than reading and reacting and trying to make tackles behind behind the line, because he still seems to struggle making reads and getting off of blocks. But he definitely seemed to be more of a factor on Saturday than I remember all of last season. I, I honestly cannot remember a single big play that he made last year. I know that sounds unfair. I'm sure he made several, but I just don't remember any. Yeah. And and you know, the big tackle he had for a loss where he picked up that line, that's what I expected out of him when, when we when he came to Ohio State. Right. Yeah. 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 Well we expected McMillan, right? And we even complained about McMillan. He's yeah. a pretty fucking good linebacker. Yeah. He's wearing the same number. Uh, that uh, that Browning has. Oh, yeah, so that's five. Five, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, you're right, Tough Borland, three tackles, two solo, uh, no sacks, no tackle for loss, not a huge impact on this game at all. Um, right, which is like his M.O., you know? Yeah. It's just like, I, you know, I, 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 don't, I don't get it. Yeah. You know, like, so it's, I, I just don't ever remember him, you know, doing anything, right? It's too feast I mean, maybe or famine for here, you know, sorry, I was just going to say it's too feast or famine for him. I feel like there are times where, you know, you really, he's a presence and he's, uh, he's knocking the ball loose, he's making plays at the line of scrimmage, and then there are, you know, there, there are games where you feel like Ohio State may only had 10 guys out there on defense. So I know, but that was so fucking Ohio State. Like, he, and, and, and not so much of an indictment on Borland, but why can't anybody then beat him out? Yeah. I mean, how, how did, I mean, how is this the best that we have to offer? Yeah, and I, I don't. don't and yeah. again, it's 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 not like they're horrible, um, and it's one game and a new system. But again, it was just like, hmm, did he did he even play? Did he even have a tackle? I mean, he had three fucking tackles. Yeah, I, you know. Um, yeah, you're you're the, you're an inside out or how they do it. It's just it doesn't. He just doesn't overwhelm at any at, at all with anything. Yeah, no, I agree. You're you're the starting inside linebacker at Ohio State, right? And you think of the guys in the past who played that position. Right, Marcus Merrick, Chris Spielman, uh, you know, even now recently, Rayquan McMillan, I mean, yeah, Laurinaitis. These are guys that that game in and game out made. They weren't just making tackles five yards downfield. These are guys that are getting into the backfield. They're forcing fumbles and creating turnovers. And actually, that 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 was kind of the other thing I wanted to talk about. As good as the defense was, twelve tackles for loss, four quarterback sacks. They were absolutely dominant for the first two and a half, three quarters until they really started having to go to reserves in the fourth quarter. Again, the defensive line was totally depleted. You had, you're down one starter, three key rotational guys. I think they just ran out of gas. They didn't create a lot of turnovers. They did actually force three fumbles. I think one of those was a special teams muff that, that FAU fell on, but they did force two fumbles that FAU fell on. They weren't able to recover either of them, and then they got the late pick uh, at the end of the game. 
um, by uh, sorry, what's that kid's name? The safety, the stud safety that everyone's Proctor. Doing. Proctor, which was yeah. yeah, you know. But yeah, that's that's one thing I want to see more out of this defense. Uh, you know, they were great getting behind the line of scrimmage and getting after the quarterback. Again, twelve tackles for loss total. But I want to see more turnovers. I want to see these guys getting their hands on footballs and and you know forcing turnovers and i think that maybe that's where the defense has a little ways to go so who is the starting safeties it was fuller and who wade fuller and uh fuller and white and white yeah and i believe they were interchanging both fuller and wade as the game went along uh depending on the mm-hmm. circumstances uh they had three I mean, linebackers out there all day long that was one observation that i think Douglas marie made was that they had three linebackers pretty much all day long out there, and they were swapping White and um, and uh, sorry uh, Wade all pretty much all day long, interchanging those two. Yeah, I, I wonder if that's just because they had those tight ends, you know, um, right? And that's why they, you know, maybe had a Pete Warren. But my point of that is, like, how is Wade not on the field for every fucking defensive snap? Yeah. Right? I mean, just from a pure athleticism perspective. Right. uh, I mean, unless he can't, you know, handle an assignment or anything, and there's nothing that leads me to that conclusion. Like, that that, that guy needs to be on the field, right? You know, it's like you just see those guys Mm -hmm. where, you know, and, like, White's another one. You know, it's just like they're they're guys that are, you know, I – they're just ball hawks. They're they, they're just alpha fucking guys out there, and they need to be on the field. And then they, but then I'm I'm watching fucking tough Borland for sixty <laughs> minutes. I, I just don't get it. Well, and I I tend to think because by the end of last year, right? I mean, you had White and Wade out there in at crunch time. They were part of your crunch time eleven on defense at the most critical moments of the biggest games. And I tend to think that's what we're going to see as well as the season goes along. In the opener, you know, I think they were pretty vanilla yeah. sometimes. It seemed they were also, they, you know, they played a lot of base defense from what I could see. And uh, it seemed also they were trying to experiment with different personnel groupings. But uh, no, I totally agree with you. I think when push comes to shove, at the most critical moments of this season, Sean Wade's going to be out on the field. Brendan White's going to be out on the field. I mean, those are the guys that they're going to, part of the, the 11 that they're going to ride or die with at, at the most important mm. moments of the season. Um, yeah. Yeah, Okuda looked great. I, I thought Okuda, you know, he had uh, one pass breakup that was pretty impressive, but he had several open field tackles that I thought yeah. on their backs out on little flare outs and screens that I thought were, that were, uh, you know, really impressive. He's going to have a huge year. Um, I, I think you're looking. Yeah, he, he's a stud. He's a stud. I mean, I think you're looking at Okuda, Young, and Harrison as guys that could potentially be first-team All Big Ten type players. I mean, I think in the case of, of Young and Okuda, we could be looking at All-American. Certainly, in the case of Young, All-American type seasons. And and those three right there, I would identify as you're probably the three best players on your defense. And then and then after those two. Um, you know, I would I would identify probably Brendan White, Sean Wade, um, you know. But at linebacker, we'll see. I don't know who would emerge from from outside of Harrison, who would emerge, you know, as somebody that you could really really identify as. Hey, these are the lead dogs on the defense. And then uh, I'm yeah. F- I mean, and that's the thing. That's that's just it. it that's the, the million dollar question. And as I, I have faith in these coaches. They know what they're doing. They're 
they're putting the best players out there. I, I just find it hard to believe that these are our best players. Yeah. For whatever reason, that you know, I mean, and again, I don't. This doesn't need to be the Pete Warner, Tough Borland, you know, dump all over them show. But it's just like I, I find it hard to believe that we don't have guys that can beat that can't beat them out. I think it's got to be tough because I think Borland. By all accounts, Borland and Warner are those guys that do everything right. They handle all of their business right. They're, Le Marie had mentioned um, several podcasts ago that these are the guys whose names are at the top of all the you know top you know, bench press and squats. And you know you go into the weight room and you look at the leaderboard of all these you know all these different measure you know measurements. Those guys are at the top, right? They're working hard. Yeah, you know everybody. what else fucking Tough Borland's on the top of? He's on the top of fucking chasing five yards behind the running back <laughs> as he's streaking down the sideline. Right. He also leads that category, too. Yeah, totally. So let's just, I mean. Yeah. No, I totally agree with you, but I think it's got to be a delicate balance where you have these two guys that, you know, have been with the program a while. They handle their business the way that, you know, the coaches would want all the kids on that roster to handle their business. And it's probably not just as easy as saying, "Sorry, kid, there's someone better. Grab some pine." I think they I, have to I, they have yeah. to finesse this a little bit. It'll be interesting to see come midseason who's getting the majority of the snaps at those linebacker spots, and if they kind of gradually start moving some of these guys in, uh, some of these younger guys in, Taraja Mitchell, Baron Browning. Um, you know, uh, what about this- what about? What about that kid? Did he play? I think he did play that other. I think Harrison, that defensive lineman, right? Or oh, Zach Harrison? Yeah, he did play. Zach Harrison. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. He did play. He was part of. I know that he's second. not a linebacker. But. Yeah, he's a defensive end, and you know, to me, he was on the he was on the field, if I'm not mistaken, on those two second half scoring drives by FAU, and um, to me, he it looks to me like he still needs a little time at the at the training table in the weight room to really start looking like. You know, an Ohio State defensive, and he looks a little thin to me. And you know, I he, he when he was out there with that second unit, they they really weren't getting much pressure at all. And, and FAU was was able to move the ball pretty comfortably. Um, so yeah, but I mean, you know, he did get time. They like what they've seen from him in practice. But man, defensive line—that's one of those areas where it takes a while for these kids to, yeah. to make an impact. I mean, I can't remember. You know, I mean, I remember Cameron Hayward starting as a freshman but outside of a guy like that you know big daddy dan wilkinson i mean there there aren't there are very few immediate impact defensive linemen they need a, several years before they can start making an impact yeah i mean Both well just the difference between yeah yeah being 17 and 20 i mean still boys and who knows you know i mean obviously they're all gone through puberty, but you know, people go through dif- you know stages like that differently, and you know, then you just you amp up the just the nutrition and the training, and just everything is so much more uh, advanced at a place like a high state where it's just not fair. Even you know, even just on a pure raw athletic ability, um, somebody that's got three or four years in a program, um, it's just going to have a huge advantage of some kid that just came from you know fucking Glen Oak or something like that. It's yeah. happen. It's okay. rare. To your point, it's rare. Very rare. Yeah. So, I don't know. I, I like what All I right, saw from so the... Sorry, go ahead. The defense... So, we're at 49 minutes. Let's let's pivot if you want to... Or do you want to do Cincinnati later? Or 
No. Spend five minutes on Cincinnati. Let's what move to think. Cincy. Yeah. All right. What, okay. What, what would you give overall? Overall, this total team grade for the Buckeyes last weekend? I'll give them a B. I'll give them a B. With certain areas, you know, scoring an A, and other areas maybe C, room for improvement. But there was nothing coming out of that game that I was overly concerned about. Like, whoa, this is a bad omen. Like last coming out of last year's uh, opener, where you you give up two eighty-yard touchdowns and then another touchdown runs and then another fifty-yard pass play for a touchdown. Those were those were red flags. Uh, you know, given that those kinds of plays up to an Oregon State team who was terrible. There was nothing yeah. I saw out of yesterday's performance on either side of the ball that I felt like was a major, major red flag and couldn't be improved upon, you know, within within a couple of weeks. Uh, so I, I'll give them a solid B. How about you? Yeah, it's funny. I mean, they started out A, double A plus, and then just slid right down. I'm going to have – oh, man – I can't do any better, I think, than the C plus. C plus, all right. Um, yeah, I, you know. I, but again, my big thing is I don't, you know, you play these teams. You know, who knows how good that team was, right? It's right. Just, it's too hard to know. I think you'll start to learn a lot more next week uh, against the bump up and obvious competition. It's not like we're going to go play, you know, at Alabama or anything like that. But Cincinnati will give them a better game. So I mean, I'm on the fence, B minus, C plus, but I'm going to go with the C. Yeah, I mean, we're we're within the same range, basically. I think. I mean, yeah. you know, we were, you know, I, I was unsatisfied. I wouldn't say I was disappointed. Some my buddy Dan asked me, "It's like, well, how disappointed are you?" I go, "I wouldn't use disappointed. I w- I would use kind of unsatisfied." I will say one other thing. I will say kind of overall that it's something to watch. I don't know if I'm going to worry too much about it, but this is the th- if you if you you go back to last season, this is really the third game in a row. And, you know, we're returning a lot of the same players from last year in the two deep. So you know, the core of this team is, is pretty much back. Third game in the row where Ohio State jumps out to a big lead and really kind of has to hang on. Or, you know, there's a, lo- there's a very long lull that allows an opponent to get back into the game. Now, FAU just didn't have the talent to make yesterday or Saturday truly uncomfortable. But if you go back to the Big Ten, t- the Rose Bowl, we're up 28 nothing, and we had to hang on for dear life and win that 28-23. to And then you go back to the Big Ten title game where we had a 17-point yeah. lead at the half, and then all of a sudden we're looking at a 24-21 game with Northwestern. Who's clearly the talent gap was obvious. There was no reason the game should have been, been that close. And then, of course, Ohio State pulls away. But now we're talking about three performances in a row where Ohio State jumps out to a big lead and then lets an inferior team off the mat and it's white knuckle time. It's just something to watch. I, I don't know if this is a trend, yeah. um, you know. But that's something that you could. That's how you get beat. You know, that's how you lose a game yeah. you can't afford to lose. And I just want to keep an eye on that as as the season moves forward. Yeah, no, that's actually a pretty good observation. I hadn't thought about. It. I forgot about the Big Ten championship game. I thought you were going to talk about Michigan. I forgot about that game yeah. <laughs> in between that and the Rose Bowl. But yeah, you're right. I mean, they did the same exact thing. It, yeah, it's like. The what first two quarters of the Rose Bowl and then the first quarter of that FAU game, they looked like Jesus, the best team in the country. Yeah. But yeah, then they're just hanging on for dear life in all three of those games. Yeah. So yeah, who knows? I mean, it could be something more to it. Um, you know, or it could just be a little blip. But yeah, it's something to for sure. It's a good know, observation. I personally, I think, I I really think that that one thing is why Ryan Day really harped on toughness throughout the summer camp. And I listened to all of his press conferences and one thing, it was a recurring theme and he kept, 
he kept talking about over and over again was toughness. It's toughness. And it didn't sound like coach speak to me. I really felt like there was something there, that he was trying to communicate something about about that team's mentality. And I think that's how you close teams out. That's how you you step on an opponent's throat and you don't let him up. And I think there's something around toughness uh, with this team, uh, maintaining effort, you know, maintaining focus that has Ryan Day worried. And I think we've seen it a little bit, you know, dating back to the end of last season and this year. So it's just something to watch. I don't want to, like, press the panic button about it either. Um, yeah. But, no, you're right. It has happened three times in a row. So it's yeah. gone. I mean, that's definitely – uh, no longer an anomaly. It's certainly a trend. So Cincinnati, we got Cincinnati coming to town next week. I'm going to be there. Uh, the line is 17 oh, and going. a half. That's I'm, right. I'm going. Yeah. So uh, 17 and a half. I'm, I'm I'm on ESPN.com. I guess it depends on what sports book you're looking at. But I think 16 and a half to 17 and a half is 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 the line. Um, and I guess that seems about right. Um, you know, I, I you have to respect Cincinnati. You have to you know respect Luke Fickle. Marcus Freeman is a rising star in the coaching ranks. You know these are guys that you know as we always say, when you play an in-state school, you know, these kids are extra motivated because Ohio State passed on them, right? They didn't recruit them. There's a yep. chip on their shoulder, and I think that's a real thing. Uh, Cincinnati was uh, comes off an 11 win season last year. They beat UCLA in the opener, 24-14, I believe was the final in that game. Um, I talked to my brother-in-law, who, as you know, is a Cal booster and knows Pac-12 football inside and out. And he told me that uh, the UCLA, uh, it, you know, they're not particularly well coached, especially on the defensive side. Um, not a great defense. Um, they're pretty good at stopping the run, and they, they limited Cincy in the run game. Uh, Cincy... Uh, in that in that game, did some things in the pass game. 242 yards from uh, Desmond Ritter, their starting quarterback, two touchdowns. He did throw a pick, but I don't know that we're going to expect a ton out of UCLA this year. I think they're very much a, a, in a rebuilding phase, still not really close from a talent perspective of what you would expect out of UCLA. I, I know Gallagher made a big deal out of uh, since he's big win over UCLA. Um, I don't know. On its on its surface, it looks like a big win, but I don't I don't think anyone expects UCLA to do much of anything this year. Uh, not even be bowl eligible. So uh, yeah, I mean, what what little of that game I saw, but I did see some of it. I, I was I don't think you could have made the argument that UCLA had better players or athletes. I mean, it seemed right. to me like Cincinnati was at their level, um, yeah. which you know I guess. Historically, um, that's you, you. You wouldn't expect that, but yeah, I mean UCLA—they look bad, you know. So, so then I, you know, I flip it on its head. So, you know, how much did you really learn about Cincinnati? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, who knows? I mean, you and I, I guessed it. I guessed fourteen, um, and that's only because you know we all again, like this is the other biggest cliche in sports, but we know this. You just said it, right? These kids didn't get offers from Ohio State coming to the shoe they got something to prove their whole families are going to be there jesus got fickle and freeman um high state's going to have to come to play you know to to, to win and to cover comfortably um they're going to have to play a full game otherwise it's going to be a fucking nail biter in the end we just know it is yeah no i mean you can't have a second and third quarter lull like they did in game one and uh and expect to to win comfortably or you know 
you're, you're going to be tempting fate. Um, so I'm looking at Cincy's schedule from last year. I honestly, I don't know much about Cincinnati and I don't know how many returning starters they have. I know Ritter, their, their quarterback is, is back this year. Uh, they finished, they come off an 11 and two campaign. Um, they, uh, with a, with a win over Virginia tech in their bowl game, a 35, 31 win over Virginia tech. Uh, you know, Virginia tech isn't what they used to be as we both know. Um, Last season, they opened at uh, with a win at UCLA, 26-17. And their, their two losses were to Temple, 24-17 in overtime. And then uh, really the, the best team they played last year, UCF, uh, it wasn't close. UCLF, uh, UCF handed, handed, handed it to them pretty good, 38-13. Um, so I, I don't know that – I know they've, they've been com- competitive – I, I'm not sure. Uh, we'll see. We'll see how they handle themselves against a, a team as talented as Ohio State. Quite frankly, between you know this year and last, they haven't seen the same level of talent that they will on Saturday. Um, I, yeah, I, I'm. You know, I feel like Ohio State is going to make some adjustments. I think we're going to see a better performance out of the the uh, the offensive line. I think we're going to see a, a different J.K. Dobbins. I think. Uh, someone who's going to attack the line of scrimmage, run more north and south. And I think we're going to see a similar performance out of the defense. I don't think that was fool, fool's gold. I think of what we saw from Saturday that you can really hang your hat on. I think I think that defense, that front seven in particular, uh, you know, the defensive line, I think they're going to I think they're going to they're going to come to play on Saturday and they're going to play well. Yeah, I mean, it, you're going to need some serious playmakers. Um, to 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 put one on that defense, if they keep it up and play like they did on on Saturday, you, you're just not going to be able to do anything if your best players to white uh, tight ends, you know, unless you go back to Iowa last year. And so I, you know, the more I kind of think about it now, and uh, I was kind of like to go with the contrarian sort of point of view. I think everybody's thinking the same thing, right? Like, ah, here comes Luke Fickle into the shoe, and. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, all these Ohio players, you know, you fucking watch Ohio State will go out and throttle and fucking, <laughs> you know, 52 to 10. Yeah, I mean, uh, if you and I are sitting here next week and we're talking about a Cincinnati upset, what does that look like? We're probably, we're probably talking three or four Ohio State turnovers. We're talking about bogging down in the red zone. Um, you know, I, we're talking about, I think, some uncharacteristic, the inability to run the ball at all, uh, you know, maybe just mental mistakes, penalties. We'll say in the opener, uh, you know, Ohio State was, was pretty good on the penalty front. They, 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 were, they were among the worst in the country in penalties last year. And I thought against FAU, they acquitted themselves pretty well from a, from a penalty perspective. I'm, I'm trying to look, at the, look up the stats on that. But, yeah, I mean, I think that's, that's what we're, you know, yeah, they were, well... In the end, seven of seven penalties for sixty-two yards, but it felt to me like, um, you know, when it really counted, they were pretty mistake-free when it came to penalties. Maybe there were some late penalties uh, in the game that really didn't, you know, factor into the outcome. Yeah. So yeah, I I, I kind of feel like yeah, if Cincy's going to win that game, they're going to need a lot of help from Ohio State in the form of turnovers, penalties, and drop passes, and I don't know, I. Uh, well, yeah, yeah, for for sure to win the game. But you know, let's just be honest. We're ridiculous Ohio State fans. It's not enough for us just to fucking win games, right? right? We need dominant. Like we're sitting here complaining about a twenty-four <laughs> point victory over FAU, right? But on the other hand, you know, we're not in it to just win the Big Ten, right? I mean, it's 
it's essentially 12 or over bust. I think those are the expectations. And they should be the expectations every year. Yeah. So just to squeak by Cincinnati, because Luke Fickle, who, by the way, you know, when he was our head coach, wasn't, you know, Newt Rotney, let's be honest. So, <laughs> you know, they, they should go out there and, you know, they should, you know, it could be close for a little bit. But, you know, at the end, they should pull away from that team. I mean, there's just really no... There's no excuse for them not to do it. Um, all the other, you know, known factors notwithstanding. So they just got to get it done. You like to, you, do you like Ohio State to cover? I do. Now yeah. that, you know, we kind of, at, at first I didn't. Now I, I do. I, I just think, you know, putting on my contrarian hat, um, everyone expects a tight game. What, I think it's an, it's an early start, right? It's a noon kick. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. You know, that game would be fun at night. That's too bad. That's not a night game. Right. Um, but, I, you know, I don't, I don't know if that gives one team more of an advantage or the other. Yeah, I do. I think Ohio State, uh, I'd say right now, yeah, I think they're, they're going to win that game, like, you know, 48 to, to 20. Pretty, pretty dominant, uh, you know, convincing W. All right. Okay. Yeah, I, um, you know, I was just thinking about over the last – 15, 16 years. You remember in 2002, Cincy almost beat us. Uh, yeah, they should have beat us. Yeah. And in fact, the, their quarterback, Gino Gadouli, is I think their quarterback's coach now or he's on their coaching staff, which is funny. Um, and and then the year, actually both years of our national, the last two national championship seasons, Ohio State played Cincy early in the season. And I remember in 2014, we played them and that was uh, more of a game than I thought it would be. Um we had a young secondary that year, and they gave up several big plays and a ton of passing yardage in that game. High State ended up winning comfortably, but that was a more competitive game through a couple of quarters than I think people expected. And that's kind of what I expect. I think I think we're going to see a tight game for you know two and a half quarters, and then and I would expect Ohio State to to, to pull away, you know, in the fourth quarter and win fairly comfortably. I look at I I think they're going to cover as well. Um, I'm going to call it 40-17 in Ohio State. There you have it. There we go. All right, buddy. All right, man. There Good go. talking let's to you. End, let's, yeah, let's uh, end it on that one, and uh, we'll do some scouting on Cincinnati so we have a better uh, idea what to expect next weekend. And I don't know, maybe we'll do something where we do a little pregame yeah. uh, for that little, little matchup. little group chat. Okay, man. All right, we'll have a good All night. All right, brother. Talk to you. Talk to you later. Bye-bye. Yep, you too.